Karen Guilfrey is an experienced voice actor who voiced thousands of commercials, instructional videos, IVR systems, e-learning programs, documentaries, and video games, and narrated and produced over 100 audiobooks. She works primarily from her professional home studio in Southern California, Guilfrey, G-I-L-F-R-Y, studios.com. Her past and current clients include FedEx, Volkswagen, Citibank, Duncan Hines, Asper Cream, Quaker, Clairol, CVS, Zulily.com, Neutrogena, Benjamin Moore, Grubhub, Jack Specific Toys, Little Tykes, Play-Doh, Denny's, Shutterfly, Audible.com, Quell, and many more. And after hearing her on this episode, I am sure you're going to recognize her voice on these commercials. Given her expertise in using her voice, we discussed how to make sure we are using our voices optimally, either when we're with our patients in the exam room or giving a talk, practicing telemedicine, and how to optimize our acoustics. When we're talking about optimization of acoustics, we also talk about how her need to optimize acoustics for her job landed her on This American Life, sharing a stage with comedian Mike Birbiglia, Anthony Ramos of In the Heights and Hamilton, and Sashir Zameda of SNL. If you look up on YouTube, opera singer This American Life, you'll find it. Karen Guilfrey began her career as a singer. She studied at the USC Thornton School of Music and the Juilliard School. She sings in every style, including classical, pop, rock, folk, children's music, Broadway, and jazz. She also sang at my wedding and was the first producer of this podcast. So we go back a long way. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee, and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block. And now a word from this week's sponsor, Laurel Road. Since I had my son, paying down my med school debt has become my top priority. I remember holding him in my arms for the first time, looking into his beautiful little face, and just wanting the best future for him. With the Laurel Road Student Loan Cashback Card, my regular purchases earn me 2% cashback when I use it to pay down my student loans, which helps me reach my goals faster and plan for my family's future. Laurel Road for Doctors. Banking insights and benefits uniquely designed for doctors. See laurelroad.com slash doctor checking for full terms and conditions. Laurel Road is a brand of KeyBank NA member FDIC. Karen Guilfrey, we so missed you on this podcast. I we missed have, you, and I'm so happy that you're back. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I've been looking forward to this since you asked me about it, and now we're it's the day. We're finally here. It's happening. It's happening. It's happening. <laughs> so a, a voice professional, you are going to be teaching us how to use our voices most effectively. And so yes. one of the things um, that was... I remember from one of my earlier episodes, we had Blake Eastman on. He's a nonverbal communication expert. And he said, when you're talking to your patients, you really want to convey interest and authority. So interest you is you convey with facial expressions to make sure that they know that you, you know, your fur, your brow, and you, you, you have to appear interested, not just be interested, but you have to convey authority by using your voice. And so you, we need your help so that we can make sure we're using our voices appropriately. So what's interesting for me as a voice actor is that literally my entire job is to convey emotion and convey a, you know, some kind of information that I want to impart on you without you seeing me at all. So it's just my voice 
that is trying to get you to listen to this commercial or get you to learn this new skill or get you to pay attention to your company sexual harassment training policy for your uh, e-learning, you know, <laughs> so that you Which can we get all credit have to do for that. Once exactly. or twice a year, depending it's on how true. many institutions we have privileges at. Yes. It's so that's true. you on there. That's me on there. So, um, so yeah, that's, that's my entire, my entire job is to try and, and, uh, make information come across without you ever seeing me. And there are lots of different techniques that you can employ to, to make that happen. Um, one thing I think that you have to, the, the first thing I think you have to think about is the pitch of your voice, right? So when we get upset, the pitch of our voice typically starts to raise and we get a little bit more emphatic in our speech and all of our all of our uh, speech tends to become a little bit more staccato or punctuated because you're getting a little bit upset and things are getting a little bit So if you want to seem calm and not upset, you have to do the opposite of that. So for me, when I, in a commercial or, or in some kind of, uh, I do some meditation apps and things like that, when I want to seem calm and in control, I tend to lower the pitch of my voice and I tend to speak a little bit more uh, in, a, in a more legato way. So everything is more connected together and you're just speaking, you're just speaking in a way that sounds very empathetic and connected and in control. The, so that's the first thing. <laughs> there's also, there's also the volume of your voice, right? If you are, if you're in a setting with, with a patient, I can imagine that you don't want to be yelling at them across the room. That will not make anyone feel like you are yeah, that's uh, empathetic. Yeah. <laughs> that's probably not good. <laughs> um, or even if you're in a situation, I can imagine where, you know, I used to be a lifeguard. I'm, I'm not a doctor. But in an emergency situation as a lifeguard, you know, you don't, we, we dealt with a lot of like minor bloody noses and cuts and scrapes and burns. People had barbecues at this place where, where I was the lifeguard, you know, you don't want to seem alarmed. Uh, you want to seem like you're calm and in control. So for me, figuring out a way to speak calmly and deliberately and give information to someone that shows them this is urgent, but I'm not losing my cool. We are like, we are in control and everything is fine. And having that kind of medium tone that's a little bit punctuated at the end, to me conveys authority and urgency without alarm. There's all kinds of crazy things that we do with our speech that we don't. So let's let, so that I think what comes to mind, that situation would be like maybe a trauma, right? Where there are multiple people or a code where there are multiple people um, or sometimes in the operating room, right? If there are multiple people all trying to uh, manage the patient in different ways, but, but how do you make sure that you're then heard, right? Because if I'm speaking to a patient one-to-one, right? Like I'm the only other person talking unless they're right. talking at the same time, in which case then we have a, a different problem. But if there's multiple speakers and I'm not like, I feel like I might need to yell to be heard, right? Yeah. All right. So if you do need to yell, so I'm a voice actor, but I was first an opera singer, right? Opera singers know how to be heard over like a, you know, sometimes hundred piece orchestra in an auditorium when everything is super loud. The way to be heard and not wreck your voice 
is to use the support system of your core. So you're not yelling from your throat the way that you would if you, um, I don't know, if you were like completely out of control of the situation and you're just kind of like, ah. Like the way our kids right. use their voices, right? right? They're like, ah. Actually, what's interesting is kids tend to use their voices, even babies. Babies can cry and cry and cry and cry for hours and never lose their voice. Or it takes a lot for babies to lose their voice from crying because they because they are using their entire body to make that crying sound. You can watch a crying baby and they take an inhale and it fills up their whole um, you know, chest cavity and their their diaphragm drops down and and then when they cry, it it's like a it's like almost like a controlled pressurized thing that happens over and over and over again. Um, and I'm talking about it as if it happens in slow motion, but it's really <laughs> a yeah. lot faster than that. But babies tend to really use their voices um, in a pretty uh, eff- efficient way without without hurting themselves. And we have to kind of think of using our voice in that way too. Um, so I would say that the best thing to do is to take a full breath, ground yourself in your feet and, and use your voice in a way that makes it feel pointed and grounded in your body. So instead of like, Hey, you want to be like, Hey, this is what needs to happen. Yeah. Right. Instead of this is what needs to happen. Right. That, that's like you're going to wreck your you're going to wreck your voice if you do that multiple times. But but digging down into your own self and grounding your feet and grounding your body, taking a big breath and just saying, hey, this is what we need to do right now. Thank you very much. <laughs> and and doing that in a way that that feels good to you is probably the best way to get people's attention. And if you're taking a second to use your voice more efficiently and productively, it's probably giving you a second to also make sure, you know, take your own temperature yeah, and check your own blood pressure uh, while there's, there may be chaos going on around you. Absolutely. So absolutely you a to make sure you keep it cool. Yeah. Well, and breathing too has a natural calming effect. Which is why, you know, in stressful situations, we tell people to breathe. Well, what is what is sound but breath going through your vocal cords that are coming together? Right? So so you need breath. You need your breath in order to make any kind of vocal sound. Well, that's not true. I can actually make sounds inhaling. <laughs> I do creature voices sometimes in video games making sounds inhaling, which is a little strange. <laughs> I saw, you know, on Instagram, your, your dragon voices were pretty impressive. Dragon voices. (laughs) And that's all done on an inhale, not an exhale, but. Well, that's in, in medicine, that's called strider, right? Like when when children breathe and go. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah. Strider. You can actually make tones that way. Yeah. And some kids vocalize that way. Really? I've, I've seen. (gasps) Yeah. Yeah, sometimes they come in for consults because it freaks the parents out. And they're like, is there something wrong with them? And the kids are just going, "Uh," and they're just vocalizing on the inhale instead of the exhale. Let's stay in the the patient arena. Let's say we're just in an outpatient visit, right? Let's let's take all the panic out of the air and and just try to optimize for those times where, you know, like what, what I'd like to do is write something down on a sticky note to keep 
outside the patient rooms where I like, I sometimes take my notes, where I sometimes I'll pause between patients to just write one or two and thing, two things down that I need to practice to make a habit, you know, for, for you optimizing my voice during the outpatient visits. So what are some things that I can do? Like you talked about, you know, grounding your feet when we're, um, and, and, you know, the big inhale and lowering our voice when we want to command that authority. But, but in the room, yeah, we need to command, we need to convey authority, but we also need to convey, you know, em- warmth and empathy. And, you know, we want to be engaging and, you know, there's, a, there's a lot to balance here, right? I don't want to just get up there and bark at people when commanding authority. I, I need to be approachable as well. So, yeah, you know, when using so, my voice, how do I do that? Well, one interesting thing is that um, you can hear when someone is speaking with a smile on their face, even if you can't see the smile on their face. So like if I do a commercial or something and I say like every day we make the world a better place, right? (laughs) Like you can hear the smile in my voice, even though you can't see that I'm smiling. So I would say your first, your first order of business is to make sure that your body language is approachable and your voice will follow. I don't know that there's necessarily, I mean, I guess if you had a really relaxed body and you were like, Hey, it's great to see it. Right. Like <laughs> that, that might not, that might not be uh, what you're going for. So I would say just have, have your voice and, and the delivery of the information fall in line with your body language. And remember that, you know, we can naturally as humans detect uh, frustration. We can detect uh, smile and warmth. We can detect happiness and joy. We can detect, you know, annoyance just from a person's voice. How many phone conversations have you had where you could not see the person at all, but you knew that they were likely having a bad day? Just, you know, a customer service call where you knew that this person was like, oh, something must have happened to them in the call right before this, <laughs> or like they must be going through something. Or on the other hand, how many customer service calls have you had where people really were treating you with, um, you know, happiness and, and, and it made the experience that much better. Um, I think, I think that that comes through in the voice, but again, lower pitch typically conveys more warmth and more understanding and more empathy, higher pitch and, and having your speech be a little more clipped tends to tends to convey annoyance and frustration and and kind of the more negative things um so keep that in mind be grounded in your body be relaxed and try to try to feel like a sense of calm when you're talking to patients and it'll definitely come through okay so i'm noticing a theme here because when there's panic in the room and a lot going on you're still lowering the pitch of your voice, grounding your feet, grounding yourself. And you're saying the same thing when we're just in a ca- you know, casual outpatient visit, but you know, like a scheduled appointment routine visit, we're doing the same thing. Yeah. So it sounds like something to just practice in general. I, I would think so. I mean, that's what I would want from my doctors <laughs> Yeah. is for when everything's going wrong, 
for them to be the ones that are calm and know what to do, even if they don't actually know what to do in the moment, right, right at that second. For me, no, but when everything's going right, yeah, or when everything's going right, for them to say everything's going right, you know, this is great. We're excited about this, and to just be calm and authoritative. You know. So now, when I talk to my friends, I'm gonna practice. I'm gonna talk to them in a lower voice and make sure that I'm grounded and so they're going to this is just what they're going to get from me all the time so I can incorporate (laughs) it and make it a habit right you know what's interesting is I mean I don't think you have to go to the extreme you can still be a person and (laughs) and just talk to people like you normally would but um I don't know if you've ever listened to like Maya Angelou reading poetry or or like some some any anyone who's a great poetry reader the way that they speak makes you really want to listen to what they have to say next, right? And it's like, you're just like, oh my gosh, what is the next thing that they're going to say? And it's very slow, but that can also be a little bit frustrating yeah. when you just want to get the information. Yeah. Like, like, am I having a boy or a girl? I just want to know. <laughs> you know? But it sounds so like I what you were like, doing there is you were using silence. Yeah, using right, silence you were really is utilizing also... the silence to draw my attention in. But I think the silence also makes people think more than they need to or makes people think about the sentence that you're about to say before you even say it and it, and I'm not sure if that could even like amp up anxiety if they don't know what you're going to say next. I mean, my my advice would be, you know, try to try to speak like a normal human being. But just keep in mind that the tone and pitch and delivery will all inform how how your patients perceive your state of mind. And if your state of mind is calm and collective and informative and we're going to get this done and it's and I I'm all about business and this is great, um, then they'll be much more at ease than if you come in and you're, you know, agitated about something and they can hear that in your voice but yeah being grounded and calm and collective collected and and knowing that you have the information that you're about to impart on them or you don't have the information but we're going to get there together yeah you, know? you got a plan you got a, you plan. got a plan exactly okay so i shouldn't utilize that silence if someone comes in they can't hear out of their right ear i look inside and i say you have ear wax because <laughs> they're gonna be like what your your bug ear your tumor, wig ear cancer vestibular schwannoma like, what do i have yeah. <laughs> wax <laughs> but i would imagine those pauses might be useful if if q-tips <laughs> if you have someone who is who, who who like the cadence of their speech is really high and they're really like they're they're just they're having trouble paying attention to you yes. because there's so much in your own their own head that might be a strategy from getting them out of it yes yeah, yeah. the other thing if you want to sound more and i do this a lot i i was saying to you earlier that i do a lot of me- medical narration so so i do a lot of like training videos uh for doctors and technicians working on new uh medical devices and equipment and things like that um and i narrate a lot of medical textbooks and i do a lot of uh uh prescription drug isi and all of that kind of stuff when they want 
authoritative. What I have learned is that they really like, these clients really like downward inflection at the end of sentences. So like, instead of saying, you know, put the paddle on the right arm, I would say, put the paddle on the right arm. And like, I, I end down. And if you end down, that makes it a statement. Like, this is the thing that we're going to do versus, so this is the thing that we're going to do, (laughs) which sounds like you're really unsure. Put your tray table in the upright and locked position. Yeah. Put your tray tables in the upright and locked position. Instead of put your tray tables in the upright and locked position, (laughs) you know, it conveys, it conveys authority and the end of a thought and the end of a statement. So if... And I mean, when we're in natural conversation, I don't think we necessarily think about things that, you know, minutely, but if you can think about, I'm about to, or even if you're giving a lecture or you're um, speaking a prepare, you're giving a prepared speech. If there is a statement that you really want to make hit hard to people, make sure it ends down. And that gives you that final piece of mic drop. Like or this is when the way the visit, it is. When the visit just won't end. Yeah, when the visit just won't end. And now it is time to go. Yeah, could be. I've learned actually that saying, all right, like signals to everyone in a conversation that the conversation is about to wrap up. <laughs> it's like so, and blah, 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 blah. All right. And then, you know, the next thing that follows is, so if you have any more questions, let me know, you know. Well, you would think that standing up after you've been sitting and typing at your computer, I think I might have to start closing my laptop to really make the, because when I stand up, it's, the visit's still not over for some people. They haven't picked up on the fact that, no, we're, we're actually done. Sometimes when I leave the room, I haven't made it clear, but I mean, I think that's on me. Right. Like if I get up and I leave the room and they're still sitting there, I there's something that I did that didn't make it clear that the visit's <laughs> over. So I think maybe, yes, that that yeah. intonation may may help as well. Yes. Yes. Pick your prescriptions up at the pharmacy. At the pharmacy. <laughs> it's true. Um, OK, so let's say. Telemedicine. Mm-hmm. Right. So. You know, we were doing telemedicine for a while. We're not really doing it much anymore, but I'm sure a lot of my listeners are still doing telemedicine. So it would be a a situation like this, right? Is there anything that I would do differently? I think that the doctor as the authority should obviously be, I mean, I say obviously, maybe it's not obvious. To me, a doctor in a telehealth telehealth visit should look like they are in a place to be able to give you medical advice. So to me, that means you're sitting up straight. You're not slouched in your chair. You you look like you're there to work. And that probably comes across in your vocal delivery as well. So you're not like sitting back in a chair like, hey, thanks, thanks for coming. Thanks for coming to this telemedicine visit today what's wrong with you? You know, like (laughs) you're sitting up in a chair and you're literally just like to the camera playing the part of doctor, except you are actually a doctor. You don't have to play one on TV, (laughs) but the camera, the camera 
itself, make sure making sure that you're centered in the in the uh, frame and that you you know don't have weird stuff behind you and then that you don't sound tired or annoyed um that your voice sounds present and that you are mentally present even though you're not physically in the same room as the person yeah a couple yeah. of i've had a couple of podcasts where the recommendation was you know before you walk into a patient room stop pause take a deep breath maybe take a sip of water something to kind of reset yourself so you're ready for the next one and and I guess we owe it to our telemedicine patients to do the same thing. They are not getting lesser care than the ones that come live, and we need to treat it. You know, even though they're not face to, they're not in person. We need to still treat it as if they were. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Okay. That makes sense. And then sometimes, you know, with technology, uh, there might be microphone or speaker issues with either you or the or the patient and you know of course try and make sure that your setup is as professional as possible so that you can have the best audio and visual video quality that you can but they might not be able to hear you because there's something wrong with their speakers or something and then you might have to speak up if you do have to speak up try and not um let your voice lift up into that into that range that makes it sound like you're panicked I would say speak up, but speak up in a way that's still kind of medium tone and present um, so that I'm saying to you, so tell me what's, tell me what's happening with you today instead of tell me what's happening with you today, right? Like that, the second one sounds, the second one sounds more, um, I don't know, uh, worried to me and, and less authoritative than the first one. And you can still speak loudly without getting into that higher register that kind of conveys more panic to me. Let's just review optimal use of our voice one more time. Yeah. So how do we make sure we're doing that? You know, as yeah. a voice professional, how do we, you know, posture and, you know, what am I doing to make sure that I'm I'm using my voice that way? So the voice you know, the sound of speaking is created from your breath. So you have to be sure that your breath and your posture is really optimized um, so that that breath can come out in a healthy way with the least amount of tension around it as possible. So you don't want to be, you know, scrunching your throat up or your shoulders shouldn't be raised. Your chest should be fairly, you know, loose and not like tight. And I'm just pressing. So you want to be sure that you feel relaxed um, what we say in in opera singing is pretend like you're a marionette and you have a string coming out of your head and it's kind of pulling you upward gently so that your spine is all in alignment, your, you know, uh, your chest and, and your upper body is all in alignment, your shoulders are relaxed, your mouth and your jaw are relaxed. Um, and then take a breath in by just opening your mouth. You can almost think of it as like if you are going for a swim in a pool. And it's easy. It's not like you're totally running out of breath, but you just come up and you go like that is the kind of breath that you should be taking this easy, relaxed, big breath. And then you have all of that air to make sound out of because the sound is really made out of the air. After that, you know, if everything is relaxed and in alignment, you'll have a lot less chance of hurting yourself 
um, no matter what you're doing, whether you're speaking loudly in a presentation or you're whispering or you are, you know, yelling to someone across the room or you're just speaking to someone one on one. If your body is aligned and you're taking good breaths and things all around you are relaxed, then you have a much less chance. The uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? You have lower chance. <laughs> a lower chance. Lower is the word. Thank you. <laughs> a lower chance of injuring yourself and your voice than if you are holding tension in any in any particular place. Okay. So, yeah. Well, that's the opposite of me. Like I am, I have terrible posture. Um, you know, even though my wife is three inches taller than me, I still manage to have terrible posture when standing next to her. Um, so, you know, try not to have tension in your body, but you're telling me like, you know, shoulders back, head straight No, not up, necessarily like... shoulders back. It's more okay. just about, it's more just about like, it's not shoulders back and, and sit up. It's more like just be in your own relaxed you yeah. know, however your spine is normally relaxed, like but not, but yeah, like, <laughs> but not, but not hunched over okay. because you want to be sure, you know, in particular that your, your throat is, is kind of, you know, like a column versus right. like being your chin being forward and, and everything being kind of pushed forward or your chin being back. And you're like, you're looking down at your phone, your chin is down and you're kind of crushing your, your, uh, larynx. Um, Everything should really be kind of like in alignment, easy, relaxed. If you find that sit, standing up straight is like making you have more tension, then don't do that. Do the thing yeah. that feels best for you. Okay. Okay. But know that if you, if you are speaking for a long time, if you speak like this, like with your, with your chin out and your, and your uh, shoulders hunched down, if you're doing this for a long time and you're speaking for a long time, you're probably going to get some vocal fatigue. Because that puts more strain on you than if you're than if you're aligned better and using your breath to create the sound instead of the muscles as much. Yeah, that makes sense. That sounds like some glottic fry, which uh, when I'm talking to my patients about it, because you know we see some voice stuff. In, I mean, I am an ear, nose, and throat doctor. I call that the Kardashian voice. Yes, the Kardashian voice. Yeah. It's interesting now in voiceover, <laughs> they used to call it vocal fry when they were asking for it because sometimes people ask for it in commercials they want this kind of like sound that sounds like a young person kind of and they have some vocal fry <laughs> but now they don't call it they don't call it vocal fry anymore they call it texture like we want a voice with some texture uh, i'm like okay i kind of know what you mean like uh, a little bit of texture <laughs> so Interesting. you had mentioned you had mentioned um earlier i mean i think we kind of made reference to it but i i, I want to flesh something out a little bit about where we do our telemedicine visits right because because you were a, the original editor of this podcast you made sure that i knew about the importance of acoustics mm -hmm. so let's just for our you know where should we be doing our telemedicine visits to make sure that we're not in some big cavernous room with lots yeah. of echo where our patients are going to have trouble understanding us. Yes. Where's the best place to do that? So I would say, so, and and I'll come at this from the perspective of an actor, like a person who's on camera sometimes too, right? You want to be in a place that looks like you're, that looks nice. <laughs> 
like don't be in your laundry room or something, but also the laundry room or the bathroom is not going to sound nice either. The more dead the space is, the more uh, furniture, furniture you have in there that absorbs sound. So like couches, curtains, carpets, things like that. And, and if the room is slightly smaller, your acoustics will be better. The sound of your voice in that uh, telehealth uh, visit will be better than if you are in a giant, you know, room that has a like huge ceilings and tile floors and, and it's just like a big cavernous space. So uh, I would say keep that in mind because it, it can be really hard to hear people when they're not in, in an acoustic environment that, that it lends itself well to being, you know, recorded on a computer and sent across the internet. <laughs> um, but, and, you know, we all know this from watching different news programs <laughs> with people being interviewed at home. <laughs> Sometimes people have really nice microphones and their their background looks nice and they sound great. And other times people, I'm just like, oh my gosh, it's 2022 and you give interviews all the time. How have you not figured this out? Like, you're on a national news network. <laughs> you're going to get a two on Rate My Room. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, so that's 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 important. I mean, right now I'm in a fully sound isolated booth but this is because this is for my job that's what i do but it sounds good i hope <laughs> well something that you're famous for right is being able to record <laughs> on the go and yes. so a great place it's a small room with lots of stuff around to absorb the reverb and that's a closet and it's a closet it's true you have to be careful yeah i i locked myself in a hotel closet and I couldn't get out and I was recording an audiobook, and the tape kept running and I was stuck inside. <laughs> it was like a 40 minute recording of me banging on the walls and <laughs> trying to get out. And then we turned it into a podcast episode on This American Life and it's great. Yes. So, so look up Karen Gilfrey, This American Life. It's amazing. <laughs> the radio drama episode. We made it into an opera. It was, it was incredible. It was incredible. Um, okay. Well, any, any parting tips for the audience, you know, any other thing that we didn't get to this during this interview? Yeah. Oh, can we talk about, can we talk about what to do if you're sick? Yeah. I well, mean, I can't it, tell. Are you telling me or are you asking me? <laughs> no, may we, may we talk about it? Yeah. I mean, I think all voice professionals would tell you and probably ENTs would tell you as well that vocal rest is the best thing to do for your voice if you have lost your voice for any reason. And if you, <laughs> I feel like as a voice user, if I went into an office visit and my doctor had lost his voice somehow, even if it was from screaming at a football game the night before and drinking too much alcohol that, you know, or whatever it would, it happens to be, I would feel really worried at that visit that I was going to catch some something, some kind of laryngitis from my doctor. Um, to me, the, the thing that's always been most effective is just vocal rest, um, just not talking and yeah, protecting and that's yourself how I see, that way. Like I see a lot of injuries that require surgery, mm. you know, vocal polyps and cysts when the, when the cords are friable, 
from inflammation because you've got some URI, that's how those injuries can develop. And so you're really, it's like, you know, you hurt your back shoveling and then you decided to move furniture, right? Mm -hmm. It's a terrible idea. So same thing with your voice. If it's, if it's injured, you just, you just rest it. That's the best thing for it. Agree. Or even if it's tired. I mean, I do video game sessions sometimes and like I have really good, um, you know, it's my job to have good, to have good projection and to not hurt my voice being loud. But sometimes you do video game sessions where they have you like pretend to die in like 17 different ways (laughs) and you have to really like act the death and, uh, (laughs) and you hurt your voice. Um, and, uh, you know, even after sessions like that, I, I just take, you know, 12, 12 to 18 hours of vocal rest sometimes just to kind of like give myself a break because, you know, I want to be able to, want to be able to work the next day. It's very helpful. It's the moneymaker. That's the moneymaker. Yeah. Same for us too. So, um, where can people find you online if they're, if, if they want to learn more? Yeah. I'm just at Karin Gilfrey. If you want to learn anything about uh, there's actually a, a big need for medical professionals in voiceover because there's a ton of medical content. So if that is something that anyone feels like they are interested in, want to get involved in, um, I would join. There are a bunch of vo- uh, voiceover Facebook groups that you can join. I run one called Vocation Voiceover. That's a great place to get more information. And also voice actors kind of need doctors too. Um, because there are certain things that we don't know how to say. There are certain things that we don't understand. And it's nice to just call somebody and say, like, what does this exactly mean? <laughs> what is this procedure and how does it work? So that when I describe it, I can do it correctly. Um, yeah, but I'm just at Karin Gilfrey on all social media. And my website is KarinGilfrey.com. Well, Karin Gilfrey, we miss you. And hopefully the, the families can get together soon. Yay! And thank you so much for doing the podcast. And thank you for helping me start the podcast because it never would have started if it wasn't for you. So thank you for all of this. Thank you very much for having me. Welcome to the Physician's Guide to Doctoring, a practical guide for practicing physicians. Dr. Bradley Block interviews experts in and out of medicine to find out everything we should have been learning while we were memorizing Krebs cycle. The ideas expressed on this podcast are those of the interviewer and interviewee and do not represent those of their respective employers. And now, here's Dr. Bradley Block.